everybody, Dan Urban and Scott Fontana are back with more from the Couchside Judges. For the second time in a week, the UFC put on a show in Jacksonville. Wednesday's fight night was a great card in terms of action, but the main event left a bad taste in our mouths. Scott's fired up about the controversial fifth round stoppage, and I've got a bone to pick with the main event judges. Oh, yeah, Dan. I am not happy at all with the amount of punishment Anthony Smith endured at the hands of Glover Teixeira from the third round onward. There's plenty of blame to go around on that front, and I have a lot to say about it. We'll break down what happened and how a great fight had the fun sucked out of it by going on way too long. As Dan said, we'll have more to discuss from a judging standpoint, but we'll get to that later on in the show. Real quick, though, before we get into what Dan and I are so ticked off about, I just want to point out that Teixeira's big win was completely unexpected. I, I really didn't see it coming. I don't know how many people really did. And now he's probably a victory over either Jan Blahovich or Dominic Reyes away from a last chance to win the light heavyweight title. And he definitely was losing that fight for about seven minutes against Smith before he came alive. And it coincided with his left eye starting to close off a little bit. Yeah, I don't really know where he stands in this division. It's starting to get a little crowded at the top. Especially because we don't know what John Jones is doing next. He's talking about fighting at heavyweight. So if he's not going to defend the title, it would make sense that Jan and Reyes fight for the belt if he's not defending it. Jones says a lot of things. I don't really know what's going to happen. But at least on paper, assuming that Jones is just going to defend his belt with his next fight, I think we have a, a little kind of mini light heavyweight tournament here. You got Blahovich, you got Reyes, you got Jones, you got Teixeira. I wouldn't give Teixeira the title shot, but... Whichever one of Blahovich or Reyes fights Jones next, the other one should fight Teixeira for the next title shot. That that's makes sense to me. In that situation, I'd probably do Blahovich versus Jones for the belt since Reyes already had his shot and do Reyes for Teixeira for the next shot. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong, but at the same time, I do think Reyes beat Jones in February. So, I don't know. It's tough. I don't think there's a loser here as far as fight fans go, but... I think it's an interesting situation. You now have four guys that are at least in the title picture, definitely at light heavyweight. And it's been a little while since we've actually seen it even that crowded. And this doesn't even, that, that completely ignores uh, Tiago Santos, who's going to be coming back. Yeah, this division's finally starting to get a little bit more exciting. It's about time. All right, well, now that we've said that, let's get to the bad news. Let's get to what has Dan and I so mad. And I'm really furious about this, this controversial stoppage in the Teixeira fight. Terrible stoppage. It was awful. Realistically, this fight should have been stopped early in round three, and it took until the first minute had gone by in round five. He was in there way too long. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was insane. I couldn't believe, first off, that referee Jason Herzog didn't stop it. Right. At and the point he should have. Seems like he's getting a pretty long leash with guys lately. <sighs> I'm, I'm, yeah, that's putting it lightly. But then, as it keeps going, you kind of saw that Glover, maybe not, he didn't step off the gas. I guess he kind of did, because I think he's just a nice guy. Oh, he, de bad. he definitely did. But also, he was he made some strategic mistakes in looking for chokes, rather than just trying to pound him out with strikes. Because the way, you know, hindsight being what it was, if he had just kept on punching him, I don't think this fight would have kept going. I think even Herzog would have had to jump in much sooner. But because it turned into this kind of grappling and ground and pound intermittently and Smith was just doing just enough to make Jason Herzog happy and not stop the fight, it ended up kept going and going. And, you know, we went all the way through round four. 
it was just uh, it was it was really hard to watch for me. He shouldn't have been allowed to come back out for round four. No, no, absolutely not. And since he did come out for round four, he definitely shouldn't have been allowed to come back out for round five. No, no, definitely not. And I, what I noticed in the corner, one of his cornermen tell him, after all these fights, this isn't the one we're going to lose. So they still think this guy's still in it. This yeah. fight's been over for two rounds. Oh, God. I, I, I understand the positivity and, and not willing to let go because they believe in him. I think it comes from a good place, but oh my goodness, use your eyes. You got to see what's going on out there. Anthony Smith was no longer defending himself intelligently. He's handing the ref his teeth to hold. Oh my, that was, that was a brutal sight to watch. Let me just go back to kind of the sequence in round three that really caused this to happen, right? So to share, he has Smith in trouble with it. You get that big uppercut that kind of punctuated this combo uh, about 55 seconds into round three, right? So Smith's backing up in the fence. He's covering up. And Jason Herzog is, is warning him, you know, defend yourself. This is He's kind of getting into that mode where it looks like, okay, he knows the finish is imminent. He's trying to tell him, if you want to stay here, you've got to defend yourself. Then, right after that, Teixeira knocks him down with a hard left hook. He face planted. Right there. Right there. That's the end. That should be the end. Smith goes right down. He's not protecting his head. and He's eating shots. But he doesn't stop it. It should have, it should have been stopped. The, the point was 110 into round three that's when it should have been stopped 100 percent. it could have been stopped plenty of times after that also yeah yeah the the entire ensuing minute to is just landing bombs from the top he's he was kind of looking for a choke here it looked like he was trying to go for a rear naked and, and smith was again he was just turtled up into defense for that but he wasn't really doing much other than putting his hands in the way of punches not very well so yeah, any any time over the next minute, you probably could have stopped it based on accumulation on ground strikes too. <laughs> One thing though, Daniel Cormier says, oh, you know, Anthony's moving as if like that's a that's a defensive not stopping the fight. Showing you're not unconscious isn't a justification to keep the fight going. That was insane. He took a, a crazy beating for no reason. So then after the round, because somehow Teixeira lets off the gas enough, even though he outlands him forty three to one on strikes in that round. He gets all the way to the bell, right? Gets gets the gets through round three, and Herzog brings in the doctor to take a look. But nothing happens. The doctor's like, "Yeah, he's fine." Herzog just tells Smith, "You know, keep defending." I was like, "What? He's not defending himself." Pretty ridiculous. I don't understand what the doctor is looking for in that situation because I've seen fights stopped for less. I've seen them stopped for you know a big cut on a fighter who's very clearly still defending himself. It's just a large cut. I think they're looking for some kind of uh, dilation when they put that light in there to see. Cause maybe that's a sign of a concussion or something. Sure, sure. No, and, and, you know, I don't know that he was concussed, but he was just taking way too much damage. He seemed pretty lucid even after the fight. But just because you're lucid and you're not concussed doesn't mean the fight needs to be stopped. If you're, if you're not defending yourself anymore, stop it. That's it. Yeah, fight's over. And in round four, he comes out again and Smith just gets stung again. And I just don't understand how we can keep this fight going here. You know, it's not, there's not a one moment, I think, in round four that you're like, you know, stop the Iron March. No. Well, he was, st- he actually fought back. He did. He did. He was, he was landing some strikes here and there. He was looking okay in this round, even though it shouldn't have gotten this far. And this is where, this is probably where I thought Teixeira really was trying to be merciful with, you know, trying to keep it on the ground and just kind of, you know, stay on top. Yeah, yeah. So, so he gets down because Smith kind of flops for a bad takedown 
Um, he's, he's super tired at this point, too. It's not just that he's taken a beating. It's a lot that he's tired, actually. He just can't do anything anymore. Uh, he ends up turtled up with the share on top, and then you see just 30 seconds after that, Smith's reaching out to Herzog, and he gives him the teeth that you're talking about. They're not the veneers that you were kind of hearing about after the fight. Ariel Helwani confirmed these were actual teeth. You know, one of them was one of his two, one of his four front teeth on the right side. And it, I just can't believe that the, that Herzog just takes the teeth and is like, yep, just keep watching. <laughs> what a bizarre sport we have. Yeah. Broken orbital, broken nose, two missing teeth. And it's One in not the front stopped. and the back. It's, it, right. I don't know how you lose teeth in two different spots of your mouth, too. Like that's a that's just such a beating. And then he survives this round again. And I think Glover apologized to him that he had to keep hitting him. He did, yes. <laughs> he goes, uh, just part of the job. And Smith answers, "It is what it is." <laughs> so he already he's already he already knows that this he's sunk. It's finished. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know how he can't. I mean, in his heart of hearts, obviously. Lionheart Smith got his nickname for a reason, but someone needed to take that away from him. He just ended up surviving to the end of the round, though. And the first thing he tells his corner when he gets back is, my teeth are falling out. The very first thing he says, and then his corner is just like, no, 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 just breathe, breathe. Like, what? <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. Just breathe. Now we're going to go it, out here. And he's giving him instructions. I don't even think he can co- comprehend the instructions at this point. I, I don't know if he couldn't comprehend them. Like I said, I think he was lucid. But I don't think he could execute anymore. I, I think that it was more of an execution thing than a than a situation where he, he couldn't actually hear it or comprehend it or, or make sense of how to do it. It's just his body just wasn't responding anymore. You know, the corner needs to say to themselves, I see what's going on. He's not doing anything here. It's okay to accept that the battle is lost to live to fight to another day, you know? it's There's this macho thing here. And I don't think it needs to be because you can go all the way back to World War II in Dunkirk, where the Allies had to retreat. The British had to retreat from France. They lived to fight another day, and then what they do? They came back and beat Germany. It's not like this doesn't happen, and these, these guys were tough SOBs. I mean, your job is to coach your fighter. Your, all, your job is also to keep them safe. Yes, Safe absolutely. from themselves. And you know this man. You know this man better than anybody else. And the same can be said for the ref, because he's supposed to keep the fighter safe. That's his number one priority. Oh, absolutely, too. Uh, Jason Herzog deserves a lot of blame here, too, for letting this go this long. And, and I have to think that he's going to look back on this fight one day and say, ah, this was a mistake. Yeah, this was a bad one. I think he cares about his job. I think he cares about people and fighters and things, and I, I think he's going to look back at it. And there's, you, know, you hear refs like John McCarthy talk about here and there, things that they could have done differently when they look back, and I'm sure... Like anybody, they think, well, what could I have done differently? So I would have to think this will give Jason Herzog pause in the future of letting things go. And I, I hope that if there's any good to come out of it, that's that. We'll see. Another thing I want to mention here is we got the scorecards, and not a single judge gave round three a 10-7, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen from a judge. These guys act like 10-7s are this unicorn, and you can never give one. There's four scores you're allowed to give. How come we only give two? Yeah, I don't understand that either. I mean, I think what happens now is that they don't even think that they can give 10 sevens. I don't think Chris Lee or Sal Diamato or any of them think that they're allowed to give 10 sevens. I don't know this, but I'm just speculating based on what we saw here because if there was a 10-7, it was that round, round three, most definitely. The very first sentence 
under a 10-7 round in the unified rules reads, A 10-7 round in MMA is when a fighter completely overwhelms their opponent in effective striking and or grappling and stoppage is warranted. And he overwhelmed him in both. That is just ridiculous. I think we need to revisit the way judges are trained and explained to give 10-7s. This isn't something we should be giving out all the time because most of the time when you're talking about a fight should be considered to be stopped and it isn't, most of the time I think they are stopped, you know? Yeah, it never gets this far. It rarely gets this far. It's almost like if you give a 10-7, you're indicting the referee for not stopping it. And I wonder if that's part of the reason. I'm just speculating here too. I really truly don't know. I don't know, but their job is to judge, and you know that was a ten-seven. Yeah, I mean a ten-eight. You want to talk about a ten-eight versus a ten-seven? Round four of this fight is a ten-eight because I didn't see a point in round four where you would definitely say throw in the t-, you know not throw in the towel, but where Herzog should have been like, "This is over. It's done." There wasn't one moment. It was just kind of an accumulation, and that accumulation is where I would say, "Okay, we're talking about a ten-eight here." Even though there was a lot of dominance in, in the striking and grappling, it wasn't quite as pronounced as round three. Right. It was a dominant round, but I don't think there was really a time where he had to jump in and stop in that round. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Now, one more thing I just want to go back to about the stoppage here and, and just the fact that corners aren't stopping fights is I think this is a culture problem. I don't want to sit here and blame Factory X or James Krause in particular. I mean, yes, in this case, they, they deserve some blame, but... I don't know that they're any different than Greg Jackson would have been or Trevor Whitman. You know, Duke Rufus has at times done it, as as Paul Felder alluded to during the broadcast, but this is this is still very rare too. I think it needs to be changed, this culture of not stopping fights from the corner. It happens in boxing all the time. We see it all the time, and this isn't something that at least people at home look down upon. I don't know if other boxers look down on their corners stopping the fight. You had Deontay Wilder saying he didn't want that, but I think he kind of came off of that shortly thereafter when, when he lost his fight in February. Well, he was done. He was out on his feet, basically. He, he was over, it, and that's when you need to do it. it it's got to stop. Uh, I would really like to see this culture change. I don't know that I ever will, but I can dream. Yeah, I don't know if there's a sport where ego is more prevalent. Than MMA, I think you might be right. <sighs> I think I got everything I need to say out of my system. So then let's move on to uh, contested rounds. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about some of these controversial, or not controversial, but some of the close rounds that we saw uh, from a judging standpoint. Yeah, let's start with Ben Rothwell versus Ovin St. Preux. Yeah, yeah. So OSP coming up at heavyweight. He ended up losing a split decision here with round three definitely being the swing round, right? Correct. So how did you see it first off? I scored it. 29-28 for Rothwell. I gave round three to Rothwell. Okay, yeah, same here, same here. We had Sal Amato was the dissenting judge among Dave Torelli and Derek Cleary. Sal gave it to OSP. I just, you know, it's a close round. I, I, I want to say that it was definitely a close round here because both of them had their moments. But for me, I saw Rothwell doing damage to all regions of the body, head, body, legs, and even though he kind of came off it, you know, maybe in the second half of the round more, uh, I really thought that it, he did enough. Yeah, I thought the strong clinch work from Rothwell was really what put him over for me. The knees to the head from the clinch really were the strikes that said, okay, this guy's got this round. 
And it has nothing to do with the fact that he was leaning against the cage, leaning on him at the cage to kind of bide time. And that, that, that has nothing to do with it for me, and I'm sure for you too. Oh, yeah, um, no. Because that's just, that's just control. You know, if you want to call that grappling too, that's fine. But it's, you know, that was borderline ineffective and just a time waster because once you saw OSP get loose, he was landing. He was landing hard. Yeah, he had his moments, and Rothwell actually goes down at the end of the round, but I think that was after the bell. I thought it was after the horn, too, so I don't count that at all. I don't think that's fair because I think at that point, Rothwell had probably let up, uh, or at least to the point where I can speculate about it, and and I'm not going to count that. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking. Sal may have thought it was before. Yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to go that way. I I think he he has judged a lot of striking uh, contests in his day, but... I think he probably just valued more of what OSP did down the stretch, which I can understand, but I just disagree with. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to move off Rothwell for round three. Same. Oh, yeah. I feel good here, too. All right. Let's move on to another one. Let's look at Ricky Simone versus Ray Borg. Yeah, yeah. Another close one here. Another split decision. How did you have round two? This was, this seemed like it was the swing round for the judges. I scored a 10-9 for Simone. Okay. I had it for Borg. I went the other way. Why did you go for Simone, though? I went with Simone because I felt he did more. I thought Borg, when he actually did throw any offense, it was very good. It just wasn't enough for me. I agree with you completely in that assessment, and yet I went the other way because I thought Borg, when he landed, was impactful enough that it made up for the the volume deficiency uh, and the fact that he was taken down once. Uh, only once in this round as opposed to the multiple times in the first round. I just I really thought when he was landing it was it was hard. It was definitely making Simone react. And that was not something you were seeing as much from Simone, even with the volume. The most noticeable from Borg is right at the end of the round he hits him with the overhand right, followed by the left body shot. Mm-hmm, yes. In round two. I thought that was the most effective strike he threw. And I said, Ooh, if he, you know, keeps doing this, he could win the round, but he wouldn't he didn't really do that. You know, I really just think this one comes down to interpretation of the scoring criteria and personal bias. You know, if you accept volume alone as better, it's Simone. Uh, But Borg, you know, even you would say, landed better when he fired. To be honest, I would probably give this a 10-10 if we got to use our criteria. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I think I would still have gone Borg, but I can understand that. Because I'd say Simone, even though he wasn't landing as hard, the amount he had landed was enough where it kind of evened out for me. I, I, I guess. This one this one doesn't bother me that if you went that way either. I feel good about Borg, but yeah, you, you know, you're free to see it that way. As it turned out, though, two of the three judges ended up giving this one to Simone, which ended up swinging the fight. However, I should point out that when I watched round three, I gave it to Simone, and I think I was wrong. Having watched it over again, uh, Borg definitely won that round on second viewing. It was pretty even before the final minute, but Borg won it definitely, especially even you know even after eating that flying day, he was definitely winning that round because of the the flourish at the end. Yeah, Borg needed to do that the entire fight. Inactivity cost him the fight. Oh yeah, totally, totally. So yeah, it was twenty nine, twenty eights, two for Simone, one for Borg. Not a robbery, but uh, you know I I do think it's a little disappointing that Borg lost this one, even though when I watched it live. I thought Simone won. Another fight we got to talk about, though, too. Andre Arlovsky against Felipe Linz making his UFC debut. I was actually pretty excited to watch Linz coming over from PFL. He'd won their tournament in the first season. I thought he, he looked pretty good in round one. I actually gave him that round, but 
two out of the three judges saw it for Orlovsky. What about you? Yeah, I gave it to Linz. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so what did you see? I think you probably saw what I did. He was landing better strikes, and he was using good leg kicks. Yes, absolutely. The counters were good. He was doing pretty well in that first round. And just like DC was saying, the hand speed was, was really impressive. Yeah, every time they exchanged, he was throwing a lot more than Arlovsky was able to get out. Definitely landing to the head there. I thought those were pretty effective head strikes there. Arlovsky, he was competitive. Absolutely. Good kicks. He had that spinning back fist that, you know, the elbow was what really landed, but it was he was definitely going for a spinning back fist. Linz just had the more impactful lands, and I don't see a very strong argument for Arlovsky here. I think it was, you know, the big flashy strike at the end. You know, that that was more fresh in the judges' minds. Yeah. <sighs> and, I mean, it was, it was still a, a decently close round. It was. It was closer than I thought when I watched it. First, I was like, three rounds for him? That doesn't make sense. Arlovsky, by the way, you know, he, he won this as a unanimous decision, I should point out. And I wouldn't even dispute that now that I've watched it again. To his credit, Dave Torelli was the one judge who saw it our way for Linz in round one. So I, I shout out to him. Good job, Dave. Round three, though, I, I would also like to point out that, like I said, I had Linz winning this round and the fight initially. But I'm switching to Arlovsky. I thought Linz was landing better, harder early, but he just didn't do as much in the second half of the round. And Arlovsky chipped away enough to edge it. I thought Arlovsky won it. I thought the reason Linz lost this fight is because after the groin strike, which was one of the worst groin strikes I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, round two. That was brutal. After that, and he got that stern warning from Herb Dean, he almost abandoned all kicks. I don't know if that's what cost him the fight because he was actually starting to look pretty decent in, even in round three. It just... He didn't really find his openings anymore for most of the last three minutes of the fight. And that lost him. I, I think that cost him the fight. Very close fight, though. Very close round. The scores, you know, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28, that doesn't reflect this fight on paper. It was definitely close. What about any 10-8s? Were there any 10-8 rounds? You know, there were two rounds that got 10-8s from the judges outside of the main event. Michael Johnson versus Tiago Moises. Round one, only one judge, Troy Winkapaw, gave a 10-8 to Johnson. And I think he was right. Absolutely nailed it. For sure. That was definitely a 10-8 round. It was a large margin victory, which is how it's worded in the criteria. That's a 10-8. Yeah, I have to admit, though, when I watched it live, I gave a 10-9. I regret it now. I feel like I erred in not going that way. At least my opinion doesn't matter on the actual result of the fight. And fortunately, no one... In this case, did either because after Moises got blasted in the first round, well, what did he do, Dan? Something you loved. Ended up winning via ankle lock, which you just don't see. Oh, it was so beautiful. I loved seeing that. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk about that in a minute. But yeah, Moises in round one, he did nothing. Yeah, he seemed like he was waiting to be told the fight was starting. <laughs> I don't know what that was. But again, I really want to credit Troy Winkapaw here. He's really impressing me as a judge. Yeah, he, he's doing great. Now, the other one where we got a 10-8 score from one of the judges was Sajara Eubanks against Sarah Morris. Round three, Barry Luxembourg, Florida local judge, gave the 10-8 here in round three. And after I watched it, I still don't see a 10-8. This is a case where I'm actually against the 10-8 that a judge gave out, which is strange. This wasn't a 10-8. Morris had enough grappling offense. It was a pretty deep arm bar that yes that sarge had to fight out of 
It was a good attack, yeah. And, you know, even though that she had her turtled up at the end and she was hitting her with some punches, I don't think it warranted a 10-8. No, I don't think so either. I feel bad because I don't, I don't want to scold anybody for giving 10-8s because, as we said last week before these fights started happening in Jacksonville, we were worried about the local judges not giving 10-8s, and they're the ones who were leading the charge of 10-8s. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, the analogy I gave to you the other day is you don't want to scold a potty training kid because he went pee-pee and half of it got out of the toilet. You got to just let them know, hey, you're doing all right here. You're on the right track. Barry Luxembourg, you're on the right track, but but this wasn't it. <laughs> now, what else the judges got right, we should point out. All three fights that ended by strikes in the second round, I know this is a hyper-specific scenario, but in all three cases, the one round that the judges scored, everyone got right. Chase Sherman versus Ike Villanueva. Sherman won first round 10-9. He looked really good. He did look good. He was, he was, I think he said on Twitter, he looked like he was about to win by leg kicks in the second round. Oh, yeah. He did get the TKO in round two pretty quickly. The next fight, Hunter Azure versus Brian Kelleher. Azure won 10-9 in the first round. Judges nailed that. Kelleher came back and won by knockout in the second round. So, yeah. boom, goes the dynamite. Yeah, super impressive to win by knockout when you go up a weight class. Absolutely, yeah. He kind of just took this, I think he called it a COVID weight. <laughs> and then the other one, Alexander Hernandez against Drew Dober. Dober won the first round handily, and then he cleaned it up by TKO in the second yeah. round. Dober looked world class. Oh, my God, he did. That was my favorite finish, I would actually like to point out. Drew Dober getting that TKO, just the fact that he laid it out on, on this kid, Hernandez, who, you know, I think he kind of drew a lot of ire from MMA fans and, and observers last year when he talked all that smack to Cowboy right before he got blasted. Uh, so that was probably pretty satisfying for a bunch of people. But more specifically for Dober, he's really rolling now, and, and I love his career trajectory. It's starting to remind me of Rafael Dos Anjos, where you know he came in, he was just a middling lightweight for a few years, and now he's won six out of seven. Maybe he's building toward title contention, you know? He's on a roll. He looks really good. I'm excited to watch. And by all accounts, he's a, he's a likable guy, nice guy. So I, I always like to hear about guys like that succeeding. What about you, though? What was your favorite finish? Well, I already know. There's no surprise <laughs> here. Uh, Moises's ankle lock was awesome. Took a beating in, in round one. Seemed like he didn't even want to be there. Shoots a single. And what you never see in this sport is a guy drop to their back, lock up Ashigarami and attack a leg that's something you only see in grappling tournaments if this was the world's in jiu-jitsu he would be disqualified for reaping the knee which <laughs> yeah. is a stupid rule anyway this is awesome it, it was really cool and you know what of course it's michael johnson who loses this way where he looks fantastic in round one and all of a sudden he just gets caught by a submission to uh, against a guy who he was absolutely tooling and he even looked pretty decent against khabib in the first round and then got destroyed He's had a strange career, that's yeah. for sure. There's a lot There's a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda with Michael Johnson, but in the end, didn't. All right, so that's going to do it for all the fights. So let's move on to the judges and see how well they fared, unless ye be judged. Scott, who was your best judge of the night? Top judge. I already spoke about him, but Troy Winkapaw. He only had three assignments, and they all ended in round two, so he only actually turned in three round scores. But he nailed them, and he nailed one which... No one else got in giving Michael Johnson a 10-8 in round one. So he gets extra credit. I give him an A-plus for that. Whereas Cleary and Diamato, they were also on that fight. 
you would think that veterans like that who know what a 10-8 is, they didn't even go 10-8. So when you get shown up by, you know, I don't mean to say this in a derogatory way, but a local judge in Winkapaw, extra credit to him. I, I would like to see more of him. I should also like to point out, though, I thought Dave Torelli and Chris Lee had a strong night, too. Only real beef was the 10-7 that Dan and I spoke about in the opener. But judges never do that. So I'm more mad at the system than them as individuals. For me, my, my best judge was also Winkapaw. Okay, yeah. I have four worst judges. Okay. I'm giving a D to Howard Reibach. He got two rounds wrong in the two fights he judged. He got the, the uh, opener, Benitez versus Morales. He got round one wrong. Yeah, he gave Morales that round, and that was definitely a Benitez round. It didn't end up mattering in the, in the grand scheme, but this was an error. And he gave round one to Arlovsky. Yeah, that one I'm I'm less mad about, but absolutely the the Morales round that one that one could have been an impact because it's round one. You don't know what's going to happen when when you're talking about a round three being scored weird in a fight that didn't matter, or round two where it's you know maybe things aren't changing. You don't get as mad about round one. You got to get it right. Yeah, so he's going to get a D, but getting straight Fs are Sal Diamato, Chris Lee, and Dave Torelli. You are very mad about that 10-7. That should have been a 10-7. I don't care if it's the system. You're an individual. To take to change a system, someone has to stand up and do it. No, it's true. Uh, you know, I'm not as harsh on, on that because I guess I just kind of accept that. And again, I'm blaming the system more than the individuals. Right or wrong, that's how I'm going. My lowest marks, though, did go to Diamato. Which is unfortunate because he had such a strong night on Saturday. So to come, see him come in Wednesday and get my lowest score, I didn't think he was atrocious, but it wasn't strong in this case. In addition to Johnson and Teixeira not giving as dominant scores as they should have, he also gave Simone an OSP decisive rounds and split decisions that should have gone the other way. He, he cost Borg a deserved win. He nearly cost Rothwell. I also did disagree with his round one in the Arlovsky fight. Not as bad. Ultimately didn't affect the outcome, but it could have. Let's look ahead to this Saturday's card in Jacksonville, the second fight night of this long eight-day awesomeness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got another one, another fight night in Jacksonville. Main event, we got Alistair Overeem against Walt Harris, heavyweight showdown. I think it's a bad matchup for Overeem. <sighs> you know, I I can kind of see that too. I actually am picking Overeem here, even though Walt Harris, he's, he's the sentimental favorite. Obviously, everybody knows about the tragic killing of his stepdaughter, Anaya Blanchard, and how horrible that was. Just horrible. I'm rooting for him, but I actually am picking Overeem here. I think it's a coin toss because Overeem's chin is gone, but he should be the better kickboxer, and he still hits hard. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Overeem's chin is just gone. It gets touched, and he goes out. Well, like I said, it's a coin flip. You you flipped uh, heads, I flipped tails. Now, the judges for uh, Saturday... We've got pretty much the same judges. So, you know, we're talking about Chris Lee, Sal Amato, Derek Cleary, uh, Dave Torelli, you know, our, our veteran ones, and then also Winkapaw, too, who I'm excited about, and then the others, Luxembourg and, and Reichbach. Yeah, let's see what we get this time. We had a really good first card, a rather mediocre performance in this past card. I think solid to to less than spectacular. I think there was there was more of a mixed bag for sure. It wasn't as strong as Saturday. What about what about the fight you'd like to see? Is there something other than the main event you're looking forward to? I'm always excited to see Matt Brown fight. He's fighting Miguel Baeza. I think it's going to be an exciting fight. Well, when is Matt Brown born? Exactly. That's why I'm looking forward to it. I can think of a few Matt Brown fights that weren't as exciting, but I think this was going back to the period way, way back when he was worried about his job and he was like, oh, I got to win. 
uh, that's been a long time. I think he knows his job secure whenever he wants to be. <laughs> he's, he's just too exciting. Uh, for me, though, the obvious choice, Edson Barboza making his featherweight debut against Danny Gay. Yeah, that should be an intense one. I'm really excited to see what Barboza can do. I hope that the cut to 145 as opposed to 55 isn't going to expense his performance and health because if he can get it done, he should be a monster at featherweight, maybe even a champion. Yeah, how long has this fight been booked that he has to get down to 45? Oh, it's been in the works. He knew he was going to drop down to 45 okay. for a while. No, this didn't just come out of nowhere. Uh, so he's been he's been planning, he's been working it. You know, he he's long and skinny. I don't know, maybe maybe he can make the cut easily. Maybe he really will be great there. I'm interested to see because he gets a really good test. Yeah, he'll be really scary at 45, I think. It really wouldn't stun me if, you know, let's say he gets through Ige, which is no small feat. Ige looked really good when he beat Mirsad Bektik earlier this year. But if he beats him, he might only need one or two fights to get a title shot. It's possible. And that would be his first title shot because he never actually fought for the belt at 155 pounds, as, as great as he was for so long. Yeah, he always seemed like he was right there, and then he'd always get a setback. <laughs> he did, he did. And, you know, maybe we'll see that here, but... I'm interested to see what those leg kicks could do to somebody like uh, it's like Max Holloway or, or even the champ Alexander Volkanovski. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Couchside Judges. With no events scheduled next week and nothing in the works until the end of the month, we'll have past judgment at the end of next week. Until then, check back with us Monday for a look back at this coming Saturday's action and how it was all scored. Make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Dan Urban MMA. Find me on Twitter also at Scott underscore Fontana. Make sure to tell your friends. Thanks for listening, you guys. Come back next time. Until then, stay healthy and safe. See ya. See ya.